0: O Lord, we come before you and we ask, we beg that you would send the Holy Spirit to us now so that we may seek you with all our hearts and keep your statutes and by keeping them are blessed. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, last week we began our series in the book of Philippians and we started in chapter one and we looked at how Paul prays prayers of thanksgiving and with joy and why he prays with joy these prayers of thanksgiving as he remembers the church in philippi and the reason first reason we looked at was that he remembers their partnership with him in the gospel we see that in verse 5 after reading from verse 3 i thank my god every time i remember you so he's thanking god and he prays with joy in verse 4 in all my prayers for all of you i always pray with joy And why is that? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Of course, the the church in Philippi had looked after Paul's needs in different ways while he was amongst them. And then when he left them, they were a supporting church of him in his missionary endeavors. But there's another reason that's given in verse 6 as to why Paul prays with thanksgiving and with joy to God. And that is, in verse 6 that he says that he is confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus why does paul pray with joy in his heart and pray prayers of thanksgiving to god and gives glory and honor to god it's because he's confident that god will finish his work that god has begun in the church in philippi now what is this work that god has begun in the church in philippi well You could narrow it down to specific things, but You could take it more broadly as well to the whole work that god has done of salvation in the lives of the church in uh, the lives of the people in the church in philippi and this is uh, we see that god's work is even described as a saving work in chapter 2 verse 12 flip with me a page over to philippians chapter 2 verse 12 where the apostle paul says to the church in philippi therefore my dear friends as you have always obeyed not only in my presence but now much more in my absence continue to work To work, what is to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Is that God's work, though? Yes, verse 13. For it is God who works in you, to will and to act according to his good purpose. The work of God is what? Well, it's the salvation that he brings to people's lives, to sinners, as he takes them out of the kingdom of darkness and brings them into his marvellous kingdom of light. But does God begin the work of salvation? Does God begin the work of salvation in people's lives? Isn't it up to us to begin the work of salvation, to bring ourselves into his kingdom? No, it's always God who has begun the work of salvation in people's lives. Just look at a passage like Ephesians chapter 1, where we hear that the Father, before creation, before we came into existence, he had begun the work of salvation We read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it says, For He, that is God, He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. God began the work of salvation for the church in Philippi and for us who believe today. Before the creation of the world, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons. And then when Jesus is at the cross, he's the one there beginning the work of salvation as well. Before we become Christians, he was there at the cross making atonement for our sins. We read in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's not as though we were We somehow brought ourselves into righteousness and then Christ died for us. No, while we were still sinners, Christ began the work of atoning our sins. And then, of course, it's the Spirit who begins the work of regeneration in our hearts. He is the one who starts that marvellous work of salvation as he takes the blood of Christ Jesus and applies it to our hearts. And we read that even of the account of uh, the conversion of Lydia, uh, convert in Philippi back in Acts chapter 16 which we looked at a little more extensively last week in Acts chapter 16 verse 14 we read that the Lord opened Lydia's heart to respond to Paul's message not that Lydia opened her heart to respond to Paul's message no it's the Lord who opened Lydia's heart and so as we read through scripture we read again and again that it is God who begins the work of salvation God the Father predestined us God the Son died for us while we were still sinners and God the Holy Spirit is the one who opens individuals' hearts to respond to the message of salvation. And so when Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in us, we know that it is indeed true from the rest of scripture as well, that it is God who began the work. But is it God who finishes the work of salvation? Doesn't he start the work in us and then we are responsible to complete it? He withdraws, so to speak, so that we are the ones who work out our salvation? No, it is God who finishes the work of salvation, as we read here in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. He will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And the rest of Scripture agrees with this as well, that what God starts, he finishes. That passage that we opened the service with, Psalm 138, verse 8, says, The Lord will fulfil his purpose for me. Your love, O Lord, endures forever. The psalmist is confident that the Lord will fulfil his purpose for him. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 Paul writes to the church in Corinth in verse 7. He says, Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. God is faithful. He will keep you. There is no room for doubt. Scripture again and again tells us that God is the one who finishes what he starts. Yes, we have a responsibility to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, but it is God who works in us. He is the one who starts the work. He is the one who finishes the work. God is the beginning and the end. He is the alpha and the omega. If you don't know Greek, he is the A and the Z. He is the first and the last. And that goes across the board, including our salvation. And so you see this in different confessions put forward, this idea of the perseverance of the saints, this doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, or you could say preservation of the saints, including in the Midlands Confession, which we are considering adopting at our church uh, for the members, where it says we believe that God elected and chose in his eternal counsel some people to life and salvation before the foundation of the world. How do we become Christians? Because God elected and chose us before the foundation of the world. And then it continues these He effectually calls, and He will certainly keep them by His power through faith to salvation. Now, why is this so hard for us to grasp? Why do we need to hear this in Scripture? That God is the one who finishes what He starts. He's the one who begins, and he's the one who finishes. Why do we need the reminder there in Philippians chapter 1? Well, I think it's partly because we as humans, we're so good at starting projects, but not very good at finishing them. We're very good at starting projects, but not very good at finishing them, whether it's starting a jigsaw puzzle, something as small as that, or larger projects, such as starting to build a building. We're very good at starting, but not very good at finishing And when we consider buildings, we see this again and again in our society. uh, We see people starting something, but then stopping. And why do they stop? Well, it can be for many reasons. It can be lack of power on their part, lack of strength. They run out of money, they run out of resources, they run out of enthusiasm for the project, for the building, their health deteriorates. They may even die before being able to complete the house or the building that they've started. It may be that they stop for opposition There's some sort of opposition, whether it be human opposition, a rival firm completes some sort of hostile takeover of them or cuts off their their resources. Uh, We see that uh, governments can stop building projects as well. If you didn't get your development application in and get approval, they will come and they will stop. Uh, You may have the enthusiasm to keep going, but it will stop. Wars can come and hinder building projects. And of course disasters can come. Flood, fires, cyclones, even viruses can come and stop building projects. And why else do some people stop with their building projects? Well, it can be because the purpose changes. There's no need for a house anymore, particularly in that area where you started building in the first place. it can be large projects I was seeing on YouTube this week of abandoned train stations that were built between nations, one in particular. All this work gone into it, but then the two nations decided they didn't want a train station terminal there. And so it's abandoned, just sitting there and, uh, and unfinished. And so we see this, that purpose changes and people no longer have that enthusiasm or the desire or the resources to continue the work. But God... That's humans. But God does not start work, then drop the tools. God always finishes what he starts. Why is this? Well, because we see that he doesn't have the problems that we as humans have. God's salvation is described as a house in different parts of Scripture. Uh, we see in 1 Peter chapter 2 that Jesus is laid as a foundation stone. And God is building a house on top of Jesus as a foundation stone, and that includes us. That's what we are. We are stones that he takes and then fashions to be like his son, Jesus Christ, on top of that foundation stone. We see that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, it says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. God is building a house. He's laid a foundation stone of Jesus Christ and he's taking people who are sinners and changing them regenerating them and adding them to his house like living stones and unlike many buildings God's building will be completed it will be perfected as we read there in one uh, Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 we can be confident that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus why because he's not limited like humans God never runs out of power never runs out of money, never runs out of resources, never runs out of enthusiasm, energy and God never dies. He is immortal. He is eternal. So if he wants to finish something, he can finish it. It's not as though he has to work quickly before he dies like a human might. Why else? Well, God won't be defeated by opposition. One of the reasons we stop building projects is because opposition arises in some way. It doesn't matter how much sinful flesh fights against God. It doesn't matter how much the world fights against God. It doesn't matter how much Satan and his demons, fallen angels, fight against God. He can oppose them. He has power and strength to overcome. And if he wants to build himself a spiritual house, he cannot be thwarted. And God's purposes don't change. It's not as though he some, some, sometime considers, oh, I'm no longer interested in building a spiritual house, just like humans can sometimes say, oh, look, I'm not interested in it anymore. No, God's purposes never change. He is always pursuing his own glory and the joy of his people. He is pursuing his glory and the joy of his people. And we see that in the way that Philippians chapter 1 opens with this idea of thanksgiving to God, giving glory to God with joy in hearts. Now, why do Christians need reminding of this? We know that God has power. We know that no one can oppose him. We know that his purposes do not change. Why do we need reminding from Philippians chapter 1 that God will finish his saving work? Well, we as humans, even converted humans, we still struggle with doubts. Why do we struggle with doubts? What are the breeding grounds for doubts when it comes to God finishing his work of salvation in us? Well... God has been building for a long time. One of the reasons we doubt is because God has been building his building for a long time. Thousands of years he's been building his building. He laid the foundation stone in Jesus Christ a number of years ago, 2000, if we're going to uh, consider how long it's been. And then he's been building on top of that. But before that, he was getting living stones. Uh, We think back to the Old Testament, the patriarchs, uh, the people who come before He's been building for thousands of years, which makes the Cathedral of Notre Dame, a bit of a baby it took 200 years roughly for the cathedral of notre dame to be built a lot of people died in the in the construction of that project but god has been building for thousands of years now why is that a problem for us well humans don't like waiting for something we don't like waiting do we and the more time it takes for something to be completed the more impatient we become and the more we doubt will it actually happen You think of a father who promises his children, I'm going to take you to Disneyland. And a few months come by, and then the months become years, and the children start to think, it's never going to happen. They doubt that it's going to take place because time is moving on. And this is how we feel sometimes, I think, when it comes to God and his saving work in us. Is Jesus ever going to come back? Is he ever going to complete his building work? Are we ever going to get our resurrection bodies? And even the saints in heaven have a cry like this. Revelation chapter 6, verse 10 says that the saints in heaven cry out, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. They're crying out there in heaven, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. When is Judgment Day coming? And as it takes more time, the doubts begin to surface. But why else do we doubt? Well, I think we doubt a lot because we don't know the details. We don't know all the details of God's building work. Like what? Well, we don't know how God laid the first stone in Christ Jesus. The cross is very mysterious. We don't know all the details of the Atonement, how justice and mercy meet there at the cross. It's mysterious. What else don't we know? Well, we don't know all the details of how the Spirit converts us into living stones, a mysterious new birth. It is mysterious to try and fathom how the Holy Spirit operates in people's hearts, bringing them to salvation. And what else don't we know? Well, we don't know all the details about how God will fashion us, which tools the Holy Spirit will use to sanctify us so that we're more like the Lord Jesus Christ, whether it will be pain whether it will be joy, what he will bring into our lives, who he will bring into our lives, so that we become more like Christ Jesus. We don't know all the details. We don't know all the tools by which we will be fashioned to be like Christ Jesus. And what else don't we know? Well, we don't know how long the process will take. And this ties in with the previous idea that breeds doubts, I think, in our minds. The only date we're given is the one in verse 6. And what is that? Verse 6 says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We know it will happen and it will happen on the day of Christ Jesus, but we don't know exactly when. Now, why is this a problem for us? That we don't know all the details? We don't know all the details about how Jesus atoned for us at the cross? We don't know all the details about how we are converted? We don't know all the details about how we are fashioned, how we'll be sanctified into the future and become perfect and mature why is that a problem well we don't trust people we want to know the details for ourselves don't we if we want to know that something is going to happen we want to know the details you think of that child who father says i'm going to take you to disneyland doesn't quite trust dad wants to know have you booked the tickets have you arranged a day by which we can get onto a flight have you got enough money to do this dad are you making empty promises wants to know the details But God doesn't give us the details. He gives us some truths, but he doesn't give us all the details. And so we struggle to trust that it is going to happen, that we will be completed one day and have those resurrection bodies and live with him for eternity in heaven as we so desire. And then I think there's another reason why we doubt that God will finish what he started. And that's because there's pain in the building work that is done on us by the Spirit. Uh, It is work. It is described as work here in verse 6. It's described as work in chapter 2, verse 12 and 13 as well. There's none of this idea of let go and let God, that there is a work that is done in us. God works in us but it is work and it is painful work that God does. God picks imperfect stones and then fashions them he doesn't pick perfect stones and plops them straight onto christ jesus as the foundation stone no he picks imperfect stones and then fashions them and that is a painful laborious fearful process the process of sanctification is a painful process becoming more like christ jesus becoming more holy and we see that in chapter 2 verse 12 and 13 where it says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed me, obeyed not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. It is a painful process. Sometimes it's very painful, the process of salvation that is at work by the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Sometimes it's like, The Holy Spirit is chipping large sins off with a hammer and chisel. You think of that stone, not pleasant for large chunks of it to go flying as the Holy Spirit hammers away at it. And that is the process that sometimes comes with the persecution that comes of the church. And the church in Philippi knew persecution. They saw it happening to the Apostle Paul when he was amongst them. But the Apostle Paul reminds him in verse 29 of Philippians chapter 1, what does he say Philippians chapter 1 verse 29 for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him but also to suffer you've been granted faith it is a gift of God but you've also been given another gift what is that gift to suffer it's a painful process sometimes it's very painful intensely painful other times it's just irritatingly painful it's not that large chunks are getting taken off us but of sin but it's that there are longer drawn out experiences that are softening and changing us as well like what well you just think of the government restrictions at the moment that we've been a lot of our liberties that we've enjoyed in the past have been taken from us it's like sandpaper smoothing off the rough edges of the stone as we learn humility as we learn submission we learn patience in this time and so it's a painful process of sanctification and as this happens we doubt then don't we whether god is going to finish what he started i'm experiencing all this pain can it be that god will finish his work of salvation in my life and so as we feel the length of time and it breeds doubts as we feel the mysteries of salvation as we feel the pain of salvation we ask am i ever going to be saved and god's answer is yes god's answer is yes that's what we read here in philippians chapter one that the apostle paul was confident of us of it and we should be too that god and that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of christ jesus but you may say how can i know though how can i know that he will do it Is there any evidence that God has given me that he will finish what he started? Well, I can give you two evidences that God has given us. And the first is that we should look at God's son. As we ask God, what good reason have I that you will finish your work? He says, look at the work that I did in my son, in my building project. With any doubt that you ever have in life, Any doubt that you have about God, what is the best solution for it? Look at the crucified Son of God. Look at the crucified Son of God. And that's what Paul will do with the Philippian church. Philippians chapter 2 has one of the most beautiful passages about the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, his incarnation and his suffering, his death, as the work that God was doing in building himself a holy house. God tells us, look at my work in Christ Jesus when we say, Am I really going to be saved? And why should we look at Christ Jesus? How is that helpful for us as we say, Will I ever be saved? How is it helpful to look at the crucified Christ? Well, when we look at Jesus, we see that the hardest part of the work is already done. It's done. The foundation stone has been laid. We read that before in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. It's actually a quote from Isaiah. But the Apostle um, Peter is reminding us there that the hardest work is actually done. The ma- massive foundation stone of forgiveness of sins is done. It's completed. It is finished. And that's the hardest part of the whole building. If you don't have the foundation stone, the building will collapse. The foundation stone has been laid, so it's going to be okay. He will finish what he started. He's put so much already into this work, he's not going to walk away from it. He's not going to leave it and abandon it. What's left to do? If the foundation stone has been laid, the hardest part has been done, it's just the finishing touches, really that's what's going on in our lives it's just the finishing touches the hardest work has been completed in christ jesus that's the first thing that we can look at first reason that we should always go to if we have any doubts about god and including the doubt about whether he will ever finish the work that he's begun in us second thing that we can look at is that we can see his sanctifying work in us in us We can see the love for God and the love for others and the joy in him, the changes that the Holy Spirit has made in our lives. If you've been converted for a number of years, you can look back and you can see God is at work in us. And so, of course, he will complete the work. The changes are being made. And you can see that in the church in Philippi. Part of the reason the Apostle Paul is so confident about the Philippians is because he sees there. And he says it in verse 5. He's seen the partnership that they have in the gospel. And so he's confident that God will carry on the work that has begun in them because he can see the work that God is doing in them. And we can see it too as well. It's an immense privilege that I have as a pastor that I get called into different pastoral crises in people's lives and I see the Lord at work in their lives as i go around and i share from scripture and i pray with them and i see people humbling themselves before the word of god humbling themselves covering their pride and becoming more like jesus christ i see god at work in them and they say thank you so much for your help pastor and i say well it's really a privilege here that i get to witness God at work in people's lives which then confirms to me that God is finishing what he has started. He will finish the work that he has begun and we see that Isaiah is right. In Isaiah 40, that marvellous passage that we had read to us before, Isaiah chapter 40, one of my favourite texts, I get a bit of grief these days from my kids, whenever we open the Bible I say, oh this is one of my favourite texts. And they say every part's your favourite, but there are some parts that are more favourite than others. And Isaiah chapter 40 is, of course, one of my favourite texts. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29, He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles, they will run and not grow weary, but they will walk. they will walk and not be faint. We see this in our lives God giving strength to the weary have you seen it in your life God giving strength to you in your weariness it's a sign from God that he will complete the work that he has done in you so of course we can be confident that we will persevere in salvation why we know God's power we know the weakness of his enemies we know that his purposes do not change that he will pursue his glory and our joy in his labours, and we see his good work in Christ Jesus, and we see his good work in us, which confirms that he is working to that goal of our salvation. So, of course, we persevere through any lengthy process. We can persevere through the mysteries, and we can persevere through the pain. Even in a time when we lack confidence, we can have confidence of this. And I dare say we are less confident now about many things in our lives than we were even a year ago or definitely two years earlier. We are less confident in all levels of government, federal and state, less confident in police forces, less confidence in bureaucrats, less confident about experts, scientists, doctors, journalists, financial advisors, less confident in ourselves, our bodies, our minds, less confident in the Australian people, our neighbourhoods, even our family members who we know love us dearly, but they're locked up from us. They're in a local government area and they can't, we can't go to them and they can't come to us. don't know what I'm going to do if my parents' internet drops out at some point. I'm the one that solves their tech problems. I can't help them. I want to, but they're locked up from me and I'm locked up from them. And we're less confident even about church members and church leaders because we're locked up from one another as well. I've never felt weaker in my ability to help you as a pastor for the last two months. I'm locked up from you. I mean, we're meant to be celebrating the Lord's Supper this morning, that wonderful ordinance that the Lord has given us to encourage our hearts, and instead we're not. We're meant to be welcoming William into fellowship with the right hand of fellowship. we meant to do it last month. We couldn't do it then. We can't do it this month feel so weak at this time you can't have confidence in me to help you in any and every situation that comes along and you can't have confidence in one another to help you out as a church family but as we lack confidence about so many of those around us paul says what he says you can share my confidence you can share my confidence and what is that confidence You can be confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We can be confident that we will persevere in the faith. No matter what happens around us, no matter who fails us, we will persevere because God finishes what he starts If God has started the good work in us, he will finish the good work in us. Which means what? Well, we will be perfected one day and we will live on a perfect earth, a new heavens and a new earth with a perfect king in perfect joy for eternity. We may not know how long the saving will take. We may not know all the details of the process or how painful it will be. We know it will happen. God will be glorified in our salvation, and we will rejoice in our salvation, now and always. So we sing that marvellous hymn Whittle's hymn I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known, nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for his own. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I know not why God's wondrous grace he has shown to me, but I know and am persuaded that he will keep that, that gospel and myself, that salvation, Unto him against that day. And it continues I know not how this saving faith to me he did impart, nor how believing in his word wrought peace within my heart, but I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I know not how the Spirit moves, convincing men of sin, revealing Jesus through the word, creating faith in him. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I know not what of good or ill may be reserved for me. I know not what of good or ill may be reserved for me of weary ways or golden days before his face I see but I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I know not when my Lord may come, at night or noonday fair, nor if I'll walk the veil with him or meet him in the air. I don't know whether it'll be through the valley of the shadow of death that I meet him or I'll meet him in the air as he descends from heaven i don't know but what do i know i know whom i have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which i've committed unto him against that day that's our confidence and so we sing a hymn like that with joy in our hearts knowing we don't know everything out of great wisdom is knowing what you don't know we also know something and what is that we know him who we've committed ourselves to and of course he will finish the work in us now some of you may not be able to sing that hymn why well that confidence that we have is for who who's it for it's for those in whom god has begun the good work it's only for those for whom God has begun the good work of salvation. No one can be confident of God finishing something he hasn't started. It's an impossibility that you can finish something that hasn't begun. And so if you can't see that God has begun working in you, that he hasn't begun the good work in you, You can't see love in your life for God. You can't see love in your life for others. You can't see him chipping off sins with his hammer and chisel, sanding off different sins in your life. What should you do? Well, you should fear being discarded like a living stone into the fires of hell, into that lake of fire. Fear that because that's what happens to those whom God has not begun the good work of salvation in. And cry out to God. Cry out to God to include you in his house, to include you in his marvellous building project, to put you on top of that foundation stone and shape you to be like that foundation stone, to be like Christ Jesus, to start perfecting you. Cry out to God. And then, when he begins that good work in you, sing that hymn that I just quoted. Sing that hymn with joy in your heart, not knowing all the details, but knowing whom you have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which you've committed unto him against that day. Let's come to god now let's speak to him in prayer heavenly father we praise you as a god of all power and wisdom and grace of course you finish what you start oh lord we thank you for beginning your good work of salvation in us and we ask that you would forgive us for the doubts about your preservation of us which rise so easily in our hearts lord we pray that you would help us to be increasingly confident as the Apostle Paul was, that you will carry your good work on to completion for your glory and for our joy, so that we pray prayers of thanksgiving with joy like Paul did because we share in his confidence. And, Lord, we pray that if anybody who is listening to me now has not experienced your work in his heart, oh, Lord, we pray that you would begin your good work by the power of your Holy Spirit. Open their hearts so that they respond to the message of salvation. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bring joy to their lives and glory to yourself as they begin in this good work and that they would know that one day you will finish it because you always finish what you start. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.